Hey, it's Deep Geek, and welcome to my show, Talk Geek to Me. This is the premiere episode, episode double zero. So, why a new show? Many of you probably know me from HackerPublicRadio.org, but I hope none of you think that I'm somehow dissatisfied with them. I am perfectly happy with being an HPR host, but I'm also dying of curiosity. I just have to know what kind of listenership I will have if I do it on my own. So here I am, starting an independent internet radio show. Looking forward to seeing how doing a season works out, but curiosity got me. I gotta go through with it. What can be expected? Basically the same kind of geek tech talk I do for HPR. I might experiment with that, but it will concentrate on tech with an occasional book thing or something else thrown in. This new show, however, won't be a mirror of what I do for HPR. They will be different shows. I'm committing to do a monthly show. I really want to do two a month, but altogether that would be three shows a month. And I know I can't keep up with that. I may be able to do special extra shows, but I'm not sure. I don't expect that my listenership wants to query my webpage to see if something new came out with this frequency. So, if you drop me an email, I will create an announcement li email list. And every time I do an HPR or a TGTM, I will send out an announcement. You can reach me at dg at deepgeek.us. That's Delta Golf, at sign, Delta Echo Echo Papa, Golf Echo Echo Kilo, dot Uniform Sierra. Since I'm doing this to see if an audience I can call my own develops, I'm going to release it as follows. I consider the material to be licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial share-alike, after three months from the date of its first appearance. Let it be exclusive to my website for three months. Then syndication and reposting it on your website is cool. If you want, hot link to my site for the actual podcasts. And if you want to answer something I said in the show with an excerpt, drop me an email and I will say it's cool. Lastly, just to show that I have that geek je ne sais quoi, I will be numbering my shows in hexadecimal. Enjoy. Okay, today's show is on web hosting. I want to get to the point where I can give some tips and tricks to how to make sure you have a satisfying long-term relationship with a future potential web host. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to cover some basics first. So, let's start with what is web hosting. This one is for the benefit of people really new to this dialogue. I don't want to leave them out. Web hosting is putting your website on a machine that is always on the interweb, thus making your website always available to anybody who is logged onto the interweb. I want to avoid getting into the mechanics of how a web page is constructed, but quickly, there is a page, usually written in HTML, that is the page proper. That file can call upon other files, such as images, definitions of styles, animations, or short video clips. These files are then put all in one place on the web host computer under one account. That is what makes them available around the clock on the interweb. Now let's go over the different kinds of web hosting. This is not, by any means, a canonical list. But before discussing web hosting, we need to get some terms straight. 
So here are, from what I consider to be important, some major mainstream types. First, the home server. This is when a spare computer is put onto a DSL fiber optic residential or cable modem and is set up to run a web server. You're supposed to get a business plan that allows you to do this, and if you don't, you can get into hot water with your provider if caught. Also, some providers block port 80, the standard web port. The web page's URL can be formed with a custom port to get around this. This is the rock bottom cheapest of the ways of hosting, as it relies on used equipment and homebrew systems. The slash tilde. The tilde, by the way, is that little character on the shift to the left of your one. Most ISPs provide some small amount of free web hosting with your account. So if your ISP is someprovider.com, your website would be users.someprovider.com slash tilde, your username. That denotes a regular account on a bigger server where your files reside, and hence the name. Slash tilde accounts typically are small, like 10 megabytes. Don't expect to do big files like podcasts or video. Sometimes if you purchase another service, like a news server, you can get a larger account for a few bucks a month. Like my news server company offers 100 megabyte accounts. Free hosting. With this deal, you get a free small account on some web page someplace, and they put ads on your site, unless you're a good geek and somehow code your HTML to cover them up. These companies usually have terms of service that give them tile to your content, too. So they own the stuff you write in case it gets popular. Welcome to the newbie slave farm on this deal. Shared hosting. Okay. Now we are getting serious with a paid proper web hosting account. In shared hosting, you are a client to your web host, and you get some kind of support, and you own it all. And your web host company is all about making your pages available. On this deal, you are put on a box with hundreds or even thousands of other websites. For the majority of websites, this is plenty of service and thus the most economical way of doing things. Then there's dedicated, either managed or unmanaged. This is the big league of web servers. And this service, your websites, these things really are wasteful for a single site, get a dedicated web server box parked someplace in a data center. Usually you lease the box, too, because for most people it makes sense to have that computer managed by professionals who deal with things like security. Co-location. Here is a middle-of-the-road solution where... You want the control of a box all to yourself and don't want them in your box. Here your box is, in, is inserted into the co-location facilities racks and you run it all remotely. Maybe if you need it, they will push a reset button for you. Let's move on to avoiding hassles with web hosting. Now that we have the bare basics covered, I want to give some tips I have gathered over the years to help you avoid problems, perhaps even rip-offs, rip and sleazy unethical scams. First, back up your files. Let's get this down. Back up your files. Of course, your web host should be doing backups, but those are his backups of the whole server, and they are really for his use. You should have your own set of backups. He may charge you if you ask him to restore your files from his backup. This is also your ticket to not having your data held hostage by a company. When you have your own backups, if things go wrong, you can easily move. It is as simple as getting a new hosting account someplace, 
putting your backups onto that server, and then going to wherever you registered your domains and pointing those domains to your new server. When this is done, you can say, goodbye, bad web host. If you want to go the plain HTML route, you, your files on your local computer that you edit on is your backup. And you need to have some kind of regular backup system in place in case your personal computer's hard disk goes south. If you use blogging software, you need to log into the blogging software as the administrator and run the backup module, which will open a file on your computer through your web browser. Let's talk about good dealing with your web host. This is where we get into the meat and potatoes of this presentation. This is where we can talk about getting a good company, what is ethical, what is legal, and all that good stuff. Web hosting is technically complicated. While the concepts of how a web page works and getting free and open source software running are simple in and of themselves, it is getting it all to act with the highest level of reliability and all in concert that is the trick. This trick requires real organization and technical know-how. This is why you have people who do this stuff as their full-time job, and it makes sense to use their technical expertise while you concentrate on the content you want to produce. To put it another way, your computer cannot be online all the time as a server. Well, it can, but you probably don't want to. This is because what we are discussing is being proud of your work and creating an online presence. If you want a learning experience, you can hang something off your DSL connection if you want, but you are not serious about your presentation. You are experimenting with software at that point. If you are dealing with the security patches, people running malicious scripts on your computer, and juggling things so your ISP does not know that you are running a server on a home connection, you are not spending that time on making web pages that get out your message to the people. And that is something I want to emphasize. Building your online image and getting your message out, knowing this difference between them, the techs you hire to care of the boxing, and you, the person with the message to be self-published, is key to getting into a good relationship with a host. This is where knowledge pays off. It starts with knowing your roles, but extends to knowing your mutual expectations of each other. Surprises is what makes things go sour. In your role as self-publisher, you control not only your message, but also its presentation. What this is about is up to you. However, if the server you rely on does not function right, it is a reflection on you. When somebody is ready to look over your stuff and they find your site on some search engine and they click the link that takes them to you. What is the impression if they get, server took too long to respond, is it just a site or no sites responding to you from their web browser? Knowing what level of service you want. What I just said makes an excellent segue into the concept of getting what you pay for. If you use a rock bottom priced host, expect rock bottom service and performance. It is a cliche that you get what you pay for, but you do, especially here. My problems, and why I felt so victimized by web hosting companies in the past, stems from going to budget. Time for a little personal experience. I just got into my fourth host. 
I felt the experience was so bad I was ready to chuck my domain and go back to a regional ISP slash Tilder account. But I did some research and learned all about a practice called overselling. There are two constants on the interweb that cannot be escaped. They are storage and bandwidth. They can't be worked around. Let's say a given hypothetical box can handle a 100 gigabytes of storage and a 1,000 gigabytes of bandwidth per month. If you want to provision this box for 100 accounts, then the non-overselling model would say that each account should have an allocation of 1 gigabyte of storage and 10 gigabytes of bandwidth per month. Now, in the real world out there, a typical website would not need that much storage. An average website needs less storage and bandwidth than that. So in the overselling business model, you start by selling 100 accounts. Then you check the performance of the box, and if it is not fully utilized, you incrementally add more accounts to bring the box to full utilization. This is not unethical per se, as long as the box is assiduously monitored. The problem comes when the box is loaded. Let's say we have 200 sites on this box, and that the CPU, disk, and bandwidth are all being used perfectly. What happens when somebody adds more content? Well, at that point, a new box is supposed to be provisioned. But this is cost and time intensive, and so gets delayed. Now you have slowdowns on the box. On top of that, the pricing system employed by the web host tends to be so tight that profits can be so small that there is not enough to allow for the rapid addition of a new box. This was typical of what happened to me. I would change web hosts, and all was lightning fast, and over a year or two it became slow as anything, and I would get disgusted and move to a new host. With a little research, I found out that I could search for no overselling web hosts. They cost a little bit more, Essentially, what I was paying my last host became a factor in my consideration for my next host, as I decided not ever to pay that little for a web host again. While quotes range from the very expensive, like $23 a month for 100 megabytes, and a gig of transfer to the undersized, like 5 megabytes of storage, I eventually found a deal that was only a little 50 cents a month more than my last. With a little more for domain registrations, I accepted it with only a little more examination. Before the next consideration, I need to address a few more things. First, maybe an oversold box is right for you. I am trying not to say that you should all reject oversold web hosts. Just learn to know them for what they are. They are economical, and maybe you can get more storage, and you need less bandwidth with some good shopping, and maybe you don't need lightning performance. After all, they did have their reasons when they changed the interwebs nickname from the Information Superhighway to the Information Parking Lot. It just happens to be not what I need. I serve audio files mainly, and I want anybody who cares to listen or what some of us like to term as our dear listeners, to have the fastest and most problem-free download experience possible. So I needed all the bandwidth and storage I contracted for held in reserve for me. Your mileage may vary. And that leaves a discussion of spotting an overselling web host. 
While doing my last shopping experience, I noticed that none of the no overselling hosts offered more than eight gigabytes of storage for non-reseller accounts. So when you see when you see over that, they are playing a numbers and statistics game with you, and are probably an overseller. In bandwidth, the most I saw offered was a little over 150 gigabytes of transfer a month. Most sites need under a gigabyte. Why the inflated in figures? Let's go back to a hypothetical host. With the 100 accounts with a gig of storage and 10 gig of transfer, what is the cost of a gig of storage per month for you if your account is priced at $10 per account and you have a typical 500 megabyte website? If you said, my cost is $10 per gigabyte per month, you got the wrong answer. Your website is only 500 megabytes, which is half a gig. The correct formula for your cost is not to divide the cost by the allocation, but to divide the cost by your usage. Therefore, you are paying $20 per month per gigabyte for your situation. That is how you recognize the crack cocaine of this kind of marketing. If they multiply their offering by 10 and offer 10 gigs of storage and 100 gigs of transfer, that does not mean that the account costs $1 per gigabyte per month. It still costs you $10 per month for 500 megabytes. I'll leave it as an exercise to you, dear listener, to apply this to cell phone plans. It is the same kind of marketing. The real bad word here is unlimited. There is no unlimited in this. It simply does not exist. Show me the unlimited disk drive. Walk into an electronics retailer and ask for a switch that has unlimited bandwidth. It just isn't there. If you get an account with an unlimited anything, that means that you agreed not to know the limit. That's all it means. To put this another way, do you really think they are going to run around adding disks and disks onto the service for your dinky $10 a month? I don't think so. Now, that also leaves us with knowing that your prospective web host is reputable. This section will be short compared to the last. How do I know if I'm headed for a relationship with a bad web host business? You probably think I'm going to recommend some kind of form to swap notes on web hosts to your folks, but I'm not. Guess who caught up with the 21st century? The Better Business Bureau. These guys are the last stop for anybody with a bad business experience to bitch and moan about. Here is what you do. You get the billing business address of your next web host and search the BBB database online for that host in that city and state. Watch out for any complaints on record. Something was so bad that the business couldn't fix it and the poor guy had to go to the BBB? Well, sure, maybe one or two complaints which got re responded to can be attributed to a customer who was over the top. But really, you want to do business with companies with a squeaky clean record at the Better Business Bureau. To make matters even easier for you, once you do your online search, they also tell you how long the firm has been in business, and they give you a grade like A through F for the company. The BBB, they may be old school, but they get the job done. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's premiere episode of Talk Geek to Me. I am your host for the series Deep Geek. And I hope uh, you will give me feedback by emailing me at dg at deepgeek.us.
Okay, closing notes now. Um, just wanted to say, you know, thinking about it overnight, that I might have sounded a little bit harsh about the unlimited thing. Like I said, a lot of this depends on your situation. Now, it's true. I just don't believe that for 8000 a month, that if you go over some unspecified limit, that some guy's going to run out there and add a new disk to a server. Maybe if you have a dedicated host and you're paying $250 a month, it's probably a different story for you. But for the ma vast majority of, of people listening to this show, that's not going to be the case. So, I hope you'll stop by the website for this show, talkgeek2me.us. Let me say that a few more times so it kind of burns in your memory. talkgeek2me.us. talkgeek2me.us. I'm going to be putting up different versions of this, of this podcast. I'm going to also put up my show notes and maybe a couple of different formats. Uh, the show notes is really a white paper on web hosting I wrote and read from. It basically functions as a script. You might want to read it, refer to it, uh, if there's something you want to, you know, look over that you've heard here. You know, probably both listening and reading the whole thing will probably be a waste of your time. It's your choice. I'm decided to have some closing music. I'm not yet committed to having closing music for every single episode. The closing music for tonight's show is by Cyberwaste. It is called Un Kalfin Por $636 or Euro. I'm uh, pretty sure that's a non-English title. I got the music from PodsafeAudio.com. Uh, it's a Creative Commons um, group of people who just uh, make music for podcasters like me to use for free. What a, what a great bunch of guys. I uh, hope you check them out. Uh, thank you for listening to tonight's Talk Geek to Me, and I hope you'll be a regular listener. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.